A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you joined us on the program today. Uh, I will not be dropping any uh, MF bombs on the uh, program, although we uh, will be talking a little bit about Robert Francis Beto O'Rourke's uh, uh, response to, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this was an ill-timed laugh or, uh, or, or what at a uh, campaign event in Texas uh, where Beto O'Rourke is uh, talking and giving some false history about the uh, AR-15 when somebody apparently found that funny. Uh, Beto's response, of course, uh, as you, I'm sure, know by now, was uh, basically, that's not funny, mother bleeper. And if he was laughing about these school shooting Uvalde, which I don't think was the case, O'Rourke would be right. But I think instead, this guy was laughing at uh, O'Rourke's uh, uh, misinformation, uh, as well as perhaps his, uh, his gun ban plans in general. Uh, on today's program, we're going to be talking about something that I think is much more effective at keeping kids safe in school than trying to ban the most commonly sold rifle in the country. And that is making sure that there is a first line of defense for students and staff if somebody with murder on their mind walks through the door of a school. And Laura Carno, who's the executive director of Faster Colorado, has been working for several years to ensure that educators get the training that they need to help keep kids and staff safe on campuses all across the state of Colorado uh, and even beyond uh, Colorado's borders, quite frankly. Uh, Laura is today's guest here on Bearing Arms Cam and Company. We had a fascinating conversation, including her take on Beto's gun ban plans. Take a look and a listen. Laura, thanks so much for coming on the program again. It's so good to see you today. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So you had a piece of the Colorado Springs Gazette not long ago talking about armed heroes on campus. Uh, and I thought this was really interesting. Um, so there are 178 school districts in Colorado. Uh, 37 of them, you say, already have armed school staff on campus in some form or fashion. Uh, and it sounds like that number is growing. Yeah, absolutely. And let me say that the 37 are those that we know of. Um, we have heard through the grapevine that there are some others um, on the edges of the state, for example, that are finding training opportunities somewhere else um, closer to them. And so that's 37 that we know of. But yeah, since Uvalde came, the, um, and I've described it as Uvalde shook the nation. And the shaking has not stopped. Um, unlike some of the other as uh, mass school shootings, uh, this one keeps going and going. And I think part of it is because every time there was a, a news release or some um, some other hearing about it, it just got worse and worse. And um, so, yeah, we're we're hearing from people not just from around Colorado, um, but from around the country. I've been speaking to other groups and legislators in other states, and um, it has continued to be um, absolutely slammed from people wanting to know more about how they do this in their state or in their community. So as the executive director of Faster Colorado, and as somebody who is a Second Amendment supporter, I, I want to ask you, what's your response to somebody like Robert Francis O'Rourke uh, in Texas, who uh, you don't have to use any expletives in your response, by the way, uh, unlike uh, Beto. But uh, what is your response to his idea and the idea from you know, obviously a lot of other gun control activists that armed school staff is not the way to go? 
uh, you know, more guns in schools just puts uh, uh, kids at risk. Instead, what we need to do is ban AR-15s. We need to uh, raise the age limit to exercise your Second Amendment rights from 18 to 21. We need to go after the gun as opposed to putting guns uh, in the hands of, you know, volunteer staff members, even if they've been trained, even if they've been vetted, uh, that's still not the right way to go. Well, I know that um, Robert Francis O'Rourke, I do love using his full name. I, I know that he's not interested in fact-based arguments, but I'll, I'll provide some fact-based arguments. Um, if he were somehow threatened um, by somebody wishing him violence, my bet is that he would call law enforcement um, to come to his aid who have firearms um, so that they could protect him with the best tool available. Um, I would bet that if his children were in a school, or I don't know if he has got children or nieces or nephews, if his loved ones were in a school like Uvalde and uh, the killer was in the classroom, I would ask him, do, do you want to talk now about banning certain types of firearms or do you want somebody to be that last resort to save your children or your nieces and nephews, your loved ones in that class? And I, I would finally ask him, tell me, Mr. O'Rourke, where in the history of armed school staff throughout the country have you seen any problems with it? Have you seen um, guns taken away from armed school staff members? Have you um, seen negligent discharges? Have, have you seen anything bad? Because it's not out there. Um, I, I will await patiently his answers. You know, the the argument that O'Rourke makes and, and, and other gun control groups is, I think, obviously a very emotional appeal, right? Um, you want to protect your kids. You want to make sure that your babies are safe when they're in school. And the best way to do that is to ban guns. I don't buy into that argument, uh, but it is an emotional argument. I think, as you say, not not a fact-based argument. But, Laura, we have emotional arguments on our side, too. And you talk about this in your column uh, in the Gazette. You write about Kendra Castillo, uh, who was a student who lost his life in a school shooting uh, in Highland Ranch, uh, Colorado, at the uh, STEM school. This was back in 2019. Um, folks may remember this. There were two individuals who were intent on murdering as many people as possible. Uh, but because of Kendrick Castillo, uh, 18 years old, uh, who jumped up, pinned one of the killers against the wall, as you write, um, he saved lives. There were others, you say, who were shot, but no one died right. except for Kendrick Castillo. Right. Um, Kendrick's parents are are not only in favor of armed school staff, but as you say, his father speaks to every one of the Faster Colorado training courses that your organization puts on. Right. I'm curious, A, what does he say to these staff members? And were you surprised that the Castillos were uh, willing or, or even eager to uh, to be a part of this effort? Yeah, and I'm so glad that we're talking about this. I, I don't know if you can see this. I wear Kendrick's wristband um, every day because it is a reminder to us that children, I know he was 18 and a legal adult, but children should never be the ones to put their lives on the line to protect children. It should be well-trained armed adults. And the teacher in that classroom, by the way, um, had her concealed carry permit. Um, she was just not allowed to carry it. And um, so we'll never know the answer, but my 
Kendrick have been saved had Miss Harper been able um, to carry a firearm. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, had known of the Castillos. I had seen them in the news. I, I'm certainly not going to be the one to contact them. And um, I, I don't want to be viewed as exploiting grief or anything like that. Um, the Castillos reached out to us and said, we love what you're doing. And um, so we got together with them and talked about um, what they were advocating for. Um, the, uh, Kendrick is the only child of John and Maria Castillo. They lost their one and only child. And so as opposed to what you see a lot from families who lo lose loved ones in these mass shootings, um, they are the rare uh, uh, survivors who look at this from a standpoint of um, not being in favor of gun control, but how could Kendrick have been saved and how can all these other children um, be saved? And nobody knows more than the Castillos what those armed school personnel are signing up for. And so it is a very emotional part of our class when the Castillos talk about what happened to Kendrick and um, and talk about how supportive they are of what these, uh, as I call them in my column, armed heroes on campus, what they're doing, because they they don't they don't want to see any more Kendrick Castillos either. Um, but my gosh, the, the bravery of that young man um, in saving every single one of those children in a room that should have been as bad as Uvalde. And um, Kim, we went to the three-year anniversary of, of Kendrick's passing, and uh, they had a, a ceremony for it. And there, there's a sort of chalkboard thing there. And all of these kids were writing, Kendrick saved my life. And all of these kids and parents around there was very, very emotional. It is emotional. You know, this is something that I think it's, it's sometimes, I don't know if it's easy to forget, but sometimes we get so caught up in the politics of the gun control issue that that you know, we forget what we're really talking about here is life or death. We're talking about the ability of somebody like Kendrick to grow up, go to college, get married, start a family of his own. Uh, and, and the fact that he can do those things, but every other student in that classroom can. You know, again, we should be working towards, I think, a goal of ensuring that every kid is safe in their classroom. And, you know, Listen, I'm happy to have this debate with gun control advocates about trying to ban our way to safety. I don't think it's possible. I don't think we're going to get there. I think we're going to infringe on a lot of people's rights in the meantime, but we're not going to actually do anything to stop these committed killers from carrying out their attacks. Right. Um, to me, it makes much more sense to focus on that response, because as you say, you know, in Uvalde, one of the things that I think has resonated and stuck with so many people is the waiting. How long? Those kids had to wait for somebody to come through that door right. and put that attacker down. And so you're right. I mean, you, you write in your column uh, at the Gazette that uh, uh, about a uh, situation back in 2013 when a 17-year-old girl was shot at Arapahoe High School. Uh, and that, that, that uh, uh, attacker was shot and killed by a, a school resource officer. Um, you say that her death led to the passage of the Claire Davis School Safety Act, which imposes a limited waiver of sovereign immunity for schools if a school fails to exercise, quote, reasonable care to protect all students, faculty and staff from, quote, reasonably foreseeable acts of violence that occur at schools or at a school sponsored activity. And, and you close your column by saying parents should ask their children's school just what reasonable care would entail. Uh, shouldn't every kind of care be available to ensure the safety of our children? I got to tell you, I think that's a really compelling argument, Laura. I really do. Because, again, we're not talking about mandating 
that teachers carry. We're not saying you, you're going to lose your job if you don't volunteer to do this. But it seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, seems to me that when a district reaches out to you and says, hey, we're interested in doing this training, there's no shortage of school staff members who say, I'm willing to take this on. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Um, and in fact, what I hear from superintendents and school board members is that they get more volunteers than they thought they would get. Um, because as you can imagine, talking about being a concealed carry holder isn't the uh, topic of conversation in most teachers' lounges, um, might not make you popular with everybody. Um, but, you know, in, in Colorado here, we've got some 9, 10% uh, of people who have their concealed carry permit. And to think that none of those people work in schools would be silly. Um, in fact, lots of them do. So, uh, and, you know, it's been, I've said this before uh, on your show, it has been the privilege of my life to meet these people. And I never thought I'd be doing this work and working with all these school uh, employees. But man, what a group of heroes, every one of whom would die to protect children if they didn't have a firearm. And every one of them whom we are training to run toward the sound of the guns uh, to stop that killer from killing children. And they know that there is a chance they will die doing that. Um, but they would they know that they would die anyway if they didn't have a firearm. And so their job is to save children. Uh, they're, they're amazing, amazing people. And you you highlight a few of these individuals in your column. Um, you use their first name, Eric, Chris, Natalie, three different teachers uh, at three different schools in Colorado. And, you know, it may I, I wonder, Laura, uh, you know, obviously, again, the opposition to armed school staff, very vocal, very public. The supporters, when you're talking about superintendents, when you're talking about people like yourself, you all are out there, too. And I understand why these teachers don't necessarily want to identify themselves as, yes, I have a gun on me at school. But it does strike me that in terms of, you know, having this public debate, how do we hear those voices? Because these are important. And it's great that you're highlighting them in your column. But how do we hear firsthand from these educators and staffers about why they've decided to do this? And, and, and would you encourage educators to speak up and speak out if they are in favor of this or if they are uh, actively carrying, uh, you know, on campus right now with, you know, the uh, thumbs up from the school district? Yeah, and, and that's that's where that comes in is that thumbs up from the school districts. Um, some of them have policies, many of them, um, as a matter of fact, that although they're, they are public, that their school has armed staff, that they never want to reveal which school staff members are armed. Right. Um, now, now, we do have some superintendents who have spoken out about their team, and these superintendents may be part of the armed team, they may not be part of the armed team, um, but they're willing to speak out on behalf of, the, of their security program and where armed staff um, uh, policies fit into that because it's all of the above. Um, but yeah, there there are very, very few who are um, uh, interested or um, permitted by their district to speak about that. And that's why I thought it was important. Um, you know, the, those first names are not their real first names um, uh, uh, by, you know, by design. Um, but it's important because um, unless you've met all these people, like we've met hundreds over the years, it, it doesn't sink in um, the nature of who they are, why they chose this, and that they're just normal people uh, who you would see at the grocery store or, you know, see at the PTA meeting, or that they are just normal people um, who happen to carry concealed firearms at work. 
right, last question for you. Um, and this is sort of a Colorado specific question. Uh, you know, we've seen no shortage of gun control laws, but on the books in Colorado uh, over the past decade or so, how concerned are you, including, you know, the end of uh, firearms preemption? Uh, and now we've got these localities setting up their own gun control laws. How concerned are you that Democrats may come back to the state capitol in January and say, you know what, we're going to change the law so that we can't have armed school staff. We think this puts kids at risk. Uh, school resource officers are nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had had concern about it since the day we started this six years ago um, that that could happen. Um, I think. I think the reason they don't is number one, there have been no problems with it in, in Colorado or around the country. Uh, and number two, they, I, I believe that they know that they would have um, parents and school staff members flooding the Capitol saying, you can't do this to us. Um, remember many of these are very rural school districts in counties that um, even if the school could afford a school resource officer, there are no resources um, within those smaller county sheriff's offices. Um, I, I think they know, especially after those um, those recalls that uh, that you came out and covered in 2013, uh, where we, we recalled some state senators over their gun control votes. I think it's just one they don't want to take on. Um, and uh, again, nothing bad has happened for them to say, aha, we need to fix this through legislation. Well, I, I hope that uh, it would be a smart take for them, and I hope that they continue to uh, to abide by that yeah. uh, because uh, you're right. It would be a political headache at the very least for them, but again, it would also jeopardize, I think, the safety of students uh, right. across the state. Um, listen, if there are folks out there, I know you're talking to folks outside of Colorado as well. So uh, if there are you know educators who are watching this right now who are interested in, in, in pursuing this either inside Colorado or out, um, what's the best way to find uh, information about Faster Colorado? Yeah, so folks can go to FasterColorado.com and click on contact. That comes directly to me. And um, we're also talking to legislators in other states who are trying to figure out uh, how to create that lawful path there. So if you are an educator, if you're a legislator, um, we're happy to help uh, anybody across the country with this. Laura Carno, always good talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the program and thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate Laura joining us on the program and looking forward to having her back again very soon. Uh, now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a story out of Fresno, California, where a man has been sentenced for a deadly shooting outside of a Fresno gas station. i to tell you, the sentence, nothing to write home about. Uh, Ulaterio Flores was 17 when he shot and killed 18-year-old Julian Serta. Prosecutors tried to move this case to adult court, but a juvenile judge said, no, uh, I'm going to keep a hold of this case. And this week, Flores was sentenced not for murder, but for manslaughter. That's what the uh, judge found him guilty of and sentenced him to four years in juvenile detention. Just four years. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be on probation until he turns uh, 25. He was also convicted, by the way, in addition to manslaughter, on illegal possession of a firearm. Uh, a judge sentenced him to a year's worth of probation on that charge, uh, and he'll be able to serve that probation while he's in detention, which is a bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, his attorney, by the way, says that Flores acted in imperfect self-defense when he killed Serta. 
Uh, defense attorney uh, uh, Anjali uh, Bansal said it's very rare for a juvenile judge to deny transfer on cases with charges like Ilitario's. But ultimately, the judge presiding over his transfer reviewed all of the evidence that was presented and believed that he was suitable for juvenile court and that he could be rehabilitated with their services, which, by the way, if this was imperfect self-defense, there would be no or re, uh, real need for rehabilitation. Uh, the resolution that was ultimately reached, he says, was the appropriate outcome given the events that transpired that day. Well, I'm not so sure, uh, given California's soft-on-crime policies, but uh, fingers crossed that Mr. Flores takes advantage of the gift that has been given him by the California criminal justice system uh, and will be able to turn his life around while he's uh, in juvenile detention for at least the next couple of years. Today's Armed Citizen story from Middleburg, Ohio, Middletown, Ohio, excuse me, where a uh, knife-wielding suspect decided to get into a fight with a uh, gun-owning Amazon driver. Yeah, uh, here's the uh, headline. Amazon driver acted in self-defense when shooting knife-wielding man. The uh, driver out on his route, according to authorities, when the uh, suspect, man named Christopher Roberts, walked up to him with a knife. Middletown Police Chief David Burke says, uh, obviously, the Amazon driver was in fear. Uh, so in defense of himself, he was able to discharge a firearm, striking the individual in the leg area. A uh, police report uh, indicates that Roberts was under the influence of something uh, when he confronted the Amazon driver. After being shot in the leg, Roberts then ran from the scene, eventually found by police who took him to a local uh, hospital. Officers were investigating the shooting to determine if it was done in self-defense when Roberts walked out of the hospital. Uh, Chief uh, Burke said he, him uh, walking away from the hospital kind of helped clarify the situation that the Amazon delivery driver was just defending himself. Uh, no word, by the way, on if the Amazon delivery driver is still going to be working for Amazon, either as an employee or an independent contractor, or whether or not him acting in self-defense while on the clock will cause him to lose his job. As happens, you know, if you are a contractor with Uber or Lyft uh, or, sadly, a number of other companies out there as well, fingers crossed that uh, this driver is not unemployed because he protected his life. Finally today, our good deed of the day, also from Ohio, Twinsburg, Ohio, a town I've never been to, despite the fact that my youngest kids are uh, twins. I've always wanted to go to the Twin Festival there. Uh, and maybe I will, just so I could shake this officer's hand. A, a Twinsburg police officer who performed a life-saving CPR, not once, but twice, in a single shift. Uh, Olivia Bartul Bartulovic is the uh, officer in question. Uh, and uh, the uh, two incidents uh, took place last month. Uh, one shift. Again, she was first called away business for an unresponsive man and began CPR until local EMS arrived, transported the patient to an emergency room. She said, I still had about 10 hours more left in my shift, so I had to keep going. You know, you put a smile on your face and you just hope for the best. A few hours later, she heard from somebody at Twinsburg EMS that the patient was stable, looked like they were going to recover. And then not long after that, uh, she got another call. And once again, first on the scene for an unresponsive man. Uh, this call came from the man's wife, uh, including the news that the man was turning blue. Bartusevic, uh, Bartulovic excuse me, uh, began CPR once again and uh, said uh, he was actually talking in the ambulance before they got to the hospital. Um, she was quick to uh, refuse credit uh, and instead uh, praised the Twinsburg EMS saying that uh, they were critical 
uh, as long with uh, the Twinsburg Fire Department in saving both lives. And I'm sure that that's the case. Again, this was a team effort. But the fact remains that uh, Officer Bartulovic was the first on the scene, responded exactly the way we would want an officer to respond if one of our loved ones was in danger. And, you know, I, I just got to say, I mean, it's also, I think, really a, a sign of uh, not true heroism, but 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 certainly a, I think a, a, a sign of a, a very mature and responsible individual to, again, not try to claim all of the credit here, uh, but to, again, to uh, to share uh, the accolades with uh, others involved. So in the right place at the right time. Willing and able to do the right thing. Officer Olivia Bartulovic, there in uh, Twinsburg, Ohio. We thank you for your very good deeds. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. We will be back on Monday with another a brand new episode. Until then, though, I would encourage you to check out BearingArms.com throughout uh, Friday and the weekend. That way you stay caught up on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber as well. Just go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you'll get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support for the independent pro-segment reporting we do at Bearing Arms, we're going to give you exclusive news stories, analysis, content you won't find anywhere else because your support really does make a difference, and it really does matter. So thank you again. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Until then, be well. Be safe. Thank you.